Anyway, take your Bibles, turn to John chapter three. I pray that this is a blessing that the Lord speaks to us all. He has spoken to me about it. And for God's people who desire to be used by our God, uh, it is very, very important. So let's pray and we will get into this. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for these dear folks. Thank you for their faithfulness. Lord, thank you for you. I pray that you would help us to maintain a proper view of ourselves and a proper view of our Savior. And we pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. That is the title of the message tonight. Your view of self and your view of Christ. In John 3, we're going to begin in verse 25. If you would, please. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. Okay, there's a little construction constructive going back and forth as far as certain items when it comes to uh, purifying, which was very important to the Jews. But this is where it launched into, verse 26. And they came unto John and said unto him, Oh, by the way, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. Now, I'm sure there were those that, you know, they had an honest question about this. They, I mean, we're, they weren't seeing things as the way we see as we look back. But then there were others, I'm sure, that maybe just a little bit, to one degree or another, there was that age-old situation that came up. Competition. Competition, you know, and you don't need to turn to it. The apostle Paul knew well about this trap. Now it's gonna go deeper. We're going to go a little bit deeper in this. But one of the things that has always plagued mankind, it doesn't have to do just within our walk with the Lord. It can be in so many areas where we wind up competing wrongly. The Apostle Paul said this to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as, to, as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able." For ye are yet carnal, you're fleshly. How does that come out? For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Now, Paul is going to shed some light on what this is about. When it comes to divisions, all divisions, like A.W. Tozer said, all divisions are not always bad. There are times we have to separate. But then there are times when there winds up being a competition 
And it's like, oh, look at how his church is growing. Let me tell you something. You know what a growing church means? A growing Bible-preaching church means people are getting saved. People are getting discipled. I praise God for the other men, especially the younger men who are going to be around a bit longer. I praise God for them and what they're doing in the greater Sacramento area. That is great because we're not to be in a competition. And sadly, there was that kind of an attitude at times in churches that I knew in time past. It's like, wait a minute, this is about Christ. I mean, my soul, we talk, we, we talk about ourselves as independent fundamental Baptists, you know, and we're people of the book. Well, praise God, let's take the book down and let's read the book. Let, let's, let's check this out. For while one saith, verse four, I am of Paul and another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Now, the apostle Paul has already spoken this, that he's, he's coming into this in chapter three. He's coming into this situation and he's saying, you know, I, I can't talk to you like I'd really like to talk to you. Why? because I can't talk to you on a spiritual plane like where you ought to be. But instead, yes, you know, many of you have professed Christ, but there is a growth that's not there. You're still babes. You, you, you should be where in a different level, in a higher level. Folks, what we do on our own time is important. What we need to bring through these double doors is a heart that is searching, not one that comes in and says, okay, will you hurry up and feed me? I've got other things to do. That's not a good thing to do. We're looking at a world that is imploding. And I mean, seriously, we're getting more and more an idea of what the end times are truly going to be like. There needs to be a maturity in God's people. Would you agree? So, you know, hey, let's, and by the way, let's encourage other people in the church because some of them, you know, praise God, I'm glad they're here, but it's like, it's not quite catching on. I, it, it needs to be. So one is saying, well, you know what? <laughs> the apostle Paul led me to Christ and you know how much he writes. Yeah, but you know what? Apollos led me to Christ. And let me tell you something. When that guy speaks, I mean, people listen. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Verse five, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed. Who did you believe in? Christ, even as the Lord gave to every man. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together. And I thought this was fascinating with what Paul said here. I should have maybe had you turn to this because it's good. Paul says this in verse nine in 1 Corinthians 3. For we are laborers, first of all, we are laborers together with God. So there's that viewpoint. When we're here tonight, 
by God's grace, I'm laboring in the word. I want people that are here and that are watching out there and will listen later on. I want them to learn. I'm laboring, but at the same time, he says, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Guess what? Ultimately, guess who is really doing all the work? Christ. I can't build anything. We're going to the word. You speak the word. The Holy Spirit takes the word and he works the word in our lives. There we are. We work with God, but in reality, God is at work in us and on us. But there is, again, a, a situation that not only John is about to address, John the Baptist, but Paul, that when we come into Christ, there are areas in our lives that need to be sacrificed. We, we, we need to set aside. I'll never forget, we were actually out on a, on a job site and my boss had read this quote. So I've, I've known it for 45 plus years. But he was doing a Bible study and we were waiting on concrete and he read this from Martin Luther. Here's Martin Luther in front of his detractors, those that wanted to kill him. And they're talking about his attitude towards the Pope. And Martin Luther said this, I am more afraid of my own heart than of the Pope and all his cardinals. I have within me the great Pope, self. Now, I don't know about you, but the person that has given me the biggest problem in my life is Mike Rogers. All his decisions, all his uh, impetuousness, all his impatience, all his lust, all his anger, all his apathy, on and on and on and on. Anybody else you've been like that? I, not that I've been doing, you know, just you, you know, you, okay. You know, you, 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 you read as you're going through your scripture and you get to thinking about what gets said here. And it's like, wait a minute. You know, I've read some people in the scripture that the Bible is using, that God is using to teach us some things about this. Remember Saul? Remember when Saul came in as king in Israel? Here's a guy, he's so tall, he's head and shoulders above everybody in Israel. They want to crown him. They can't, you know, where is he? You know, we're supposed to, we, we, we got this guy, we're going to be made king. Where is he? He's hiding in the luggage. And they finally bring him out. And then it's like, whoa, this is great. And he served two years. And things started to go south. 1 Samuel 15, 17. I'm leaving a lot out. But listen to what Samuel said to Saul. When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? The point is this. There was a time when Saul saw himself as God saw him. 
and he saw God as he ought to be. And then came the time when he increased, and it was all over from that time forward. Point is this, we've got a lesson to learn. Proverbs 3, 7 says this, be not wise in thine own eyes. Instead, do this, two things, fear the Lord, depart from evil. Go, if you would please, to Luke chapter 22. We're gonna get back to John, but Luke chapter 22. To me, it is fascinating that the disciples in the presence of God the Son could still have debates like this. And there was much more that they did or did not do and such. Look at verse 24, if you would please. And there was also a strife among them. Why? I mean, what are they fighting about? Which of them should be accounted the greatest? Isn't it amazing that you can be in the presence of the Son of God and you can have a problem with pride? Well, if they can have that problem, then you know, there's something here that we need to keep in check as well. Look at verse 25. And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be, ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. Now, now listen to this. For whether is greater he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat but I am among you as he that doth, he that serveth. I was telling you that uh, Hudson Taylor, one of my favorite missionaries, I remember hearing a story about Hudson Taylor. There was a situation with their septic tank that was going on there at their compound at this one particular place. And uh, these two teachers, had been told, listen, this, this needs to be taken care of. So they were over to the side debating between themselves when it came to their stand, which one of them should get in this and fix this. What they didn't notice is while they were debating it, Hudson Taylor came along, jumped in, fixed it himself, got up and walked away. In other words, he did what Christ does. When you stop and consider the sin that has been in our lives, and I don't even want to begin to think about all that. But you consider that Christ came in and he cleaned it up. Every bit of it. I mean, just the simple fact to be able to recognize that before God the Father, he sees the righteousness of his Son in us. That's humbling. 
I, now, I can imagine if we've got family and friends that can hear us from heaven, they would be looking at each other. You know, people that used to go to the church say, you know, and they're in glory. They'd be looking at each other, nudging and go, that preacher, he, he has no idea what he's talking about. And they'd be right. I mean, as far as the depth, the breadth, the length, you know, all, of all that. But the point is this. We've got nothing to be proud of. Not at all. Not at all. Now, go back, if you would, please, to John chapter 3. While you're turning there, I want to mention this, that the apostle Paul, everybody got to know his view of Paul. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body. Bring it under subjection, lest by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. You stop and consider the places, so many places in life, we've got to say no, no, no. <laughs> when I get back from India, I have a hint for you. I'm not going to be any smarter. This guy is going to still have to dig and pray and rest in Christ and all that. I've already talked about how it's like, you know, man. But still, Paul, with all that he did, all that he taught, he says, you know what? I got to keep under my body. I've got to keep it down. Now, there's going to be two things that we're not going to see in John 3. Here have been these disciples that came to their master, as it were, John the Baptist. We're going to hear, first of all, John's view of John. Look at verse 27. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. I don't know how much you struggle with this, and maybe I don't want to call it a struggle, but it's just a daily mindset. Heaven is in charge. Heaven is in control. Heaven has the best of everything that we can have here. The most important thing is, for instance, like I said, is Mike Rogers to empty himself of Mike Rogers and therefore be able to receive that which heaven desires to give. That's all of us, especially in this time when we're seeing what is taking place. Again, it reminds me of that thing that I can't remember who I heard it from, but I used to teach it to my teenagers and my kids know it. I'm only one, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And there's something, by the way, that God's going to have each of us do. So what I can do by the grace of God, I will do. Look at verse 28. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I am sent 
before him. It was something that was given him. It's not something that he brought up on his own. John knew his role from the beginning. We ought to know ours as well. And then he goes into this, and this is fascinating. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. And then he makes that wonderful statement. He must increase. I must decrease. What did he mean when he said that? Well, the key is the fact that he sees himself as the friend of the bridegroom. When you go to a wedding, other than the bride, who's the focus of the attention? The bridegroom. John said, I- I- I'm-, I'm the best man. I- I'm-, I'm-, I'm not the groom. I'm not him. He uses the phrase, friend of the bridegroom. There was a word that the Jews back then called the friend of the bridegroom. He was the shoshben or the liaison between the bride and the groom. Now, I've I've preached on this before, but let me remind you of this. To me, it was always fascinating to see how they did this in time past. He acted as a negotiator between the two families, okay? He arranged the wedding, not the the parents of the bride, (laughs) he did. He also presided at the wedding feast. He was responsible. He was responsible for bringing the bride and the groom together. Now, hold that thought. His special duty, I thought this was interesting. His special duty was to guard the bridal chamber and let no false lover inside. He would open the door only when in the dark he heard the bridegroom's voice. That was his job. He let the bridegroom inside and he went away rejoicing for this. Bringing the couple together was his job. Once the bridegroom's job was done, he faded away. It's over. He said, he must increase. I must decrease. Both of those statements, again, in the emphatic. That man right there. He must increase. Myself, I must decrease. See, he was there, like like I said, watch this. He was there to bring Israel and Christ together. Once that process had begun, he backed away. He was gone. 
See, we need to be in the emphatic. We need to be in the emphatic. And to me, that's just about the core thought of this, of this message tonight. We need to be the, in the emphatic. When it comes to us as a local church and as individual believers, he must increase. We must decrease. It's not about us. It's not. My, there is part of me that fights, that battles. And you can judge me for that. That's fine. I, you know, that's, that's no problem. There's, there's, there's certain things about, for instance, being an American. Hey, I'm going to be spending time at the Capitol this week. Remember what we used to do years ago, you know, uh, the, the, the California Capitol connection? That's going on tomorrow night and Tuesday. I'm not part of that process anymore. Praise God, I've had three men that have stepped in, actually four, and are now doing that work. I rejoice in that, and I am all for it. But it cannot take the place of me and you being a Christian. That is important, and I know that's their view as well. Our job is to bring Jesus and people together. By the way, praise God, we had a Muslim today that heard some of the message of the gospel. Praise God for that. Now, that's John's view of himself. He must increase. I, I must decrease. But now, listen to John's view of Jesus. Now, now this is kind of interesting, and you'll notice this as soon as we start in verse 31, because there is debate, you know, with certain commentators, who now is doing the talking? Is it John the Baptist or is it the Apostle John? I lean towards the Apostle John, but as one that I read said, it doesn't matter. What matters is what is said. Look at verse 31. He that cometh from above is above all. Now, whoever it is, is it John the Baptist or the Apostle John or whatever? But he says, he that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. In other words, he is saying, listen, in everything, Christ is preeminent above all things. Everything on this earth, and it's not just tangible, it's also positions, wealth, you name it. At one time or another, it is all going to disappear, period. It's going to disappear, I should say. It's going to be gone. Now, Paul, he stressed that as well. In Philippians 2, verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. Why? That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. He went on to say that, basically the same thing to the church at Colossae. Colossians 1, verse 12, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us 
meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Really, who is that? In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. I, 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 I say, and again, it's, it's not just what we hear here, but it's what we meditate on in our homes. We think about in our thoughts during the day, all through the week, what are we thinking when we think of Christ? What are we thinking when we think of self? I found this fascinating. I don't know if he truly became a Christian. I remember seeing a video of the place where Napoleon Bonaparte was taken to be in exile and he eventually died. There was a man that was with him. Listen to what took place here. I've got some lengthy quotes for you, but it, they are important tonight. Listen to this. He was discussing Christ with a man by the name of Henry Bertrand, an officer who accompanied him into exile, but he did not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. The former emperor of France gave this witness. This is what Napoleon Bonaparte said about Christ. Quote, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ was not a mere man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between him and the founders of empires and the gods of their religions. That resemblance does not exist. There is between Christianity and the forms of pagan worship the distance of infinity. Everything in Christ astonishes me. His spirit overawes me and his will confounds me. He commends us to believe and gives us no reason besides his own inspiring claim, I am God. Between him and others in this world, there is no possible comparison. He is truly a being by himself. His sentiments, the truths which he announced, and his manner of life are unexplainable. Philosophers who try to solve the mysteries of the universe by their empty dissertations are fools. Christ speaks with authority. The closer I come, the more carefully I examine him. Everything is above me and has grandeur which overpowers. I search in vain in history to find one similar to Jesus or anything which can approach the gospel he preached. Everything about him is extraordinary. 
That's what I call a testimony. You know, I, I praise God for that. When it comes to this one particular place in the book of John, there's a, uh, there's a commentator I really enjoy reading. He's an independent Baptist. His name is Rod Mattoon. Now, it's not quite a page long, but I thought, I want to read this to you. I think Rod did a great job on this when it comes to expressing thought about Christ. Please, if you could listen up, this is good. No matter what the circumstance, Christ's preeminence and supremacy always came to the surface from his birth all the way to his death and resurrection. He was born in the meanest of circumstances, yet the air above was filled with the hallelujahs of a heavenly host. Even though his lodging was a cattle pen, a star drew distinguished visitors from afar to honor and worship him. Why? He is above all. Growing up, his relatives were inconspicuous and uninfluential. Yet in infancy, he startled a king. In boyhood, Jesus puzzled the doctors. In his manhood, Christ the Creator ruled the elements of nature, defying the laws of gravity by walking upon the water and then calming a raging sea. Multitudes were healed without medicine by the Lord. Funeral processions were halted as the Lord raised the dead. Huge crowds were fed with small portions of food that he miraculously multiplied. How did the Lord do these things? He's above all. Jesus never wrote a book, yet all the libraries of the world could not hold the books that have been written about him. He never wrote a song, yet he has furnished the theme of more songs than all songwriters combined. We were singing them tonight, Roger. Exactly. Our Lord never founded a college, yet all schools together cannot boast of as many students as he has following him. Jesus never practiced medicine, but he has healed more, more broken hearts and lives than doctors have healed broken bodies. How can all this be? He's above all. Our Lord never marshaled an army, drafted a soldier, fired a gun, yet no leader ever had more volunteers who have under his orders made rebel, rebels stack arms or surrender without firing a shot, without a shot being fired. Great men have come and gone, but Jesus lives on. Herod couldn't kill him. Satan couldn't seduce him. The demons of hell obeyed him. Why? He's above all. This last paragraph. Jesus had nothing he could call his own. He was born in a borrowed stable, rode on a borrowed beast, preached on another's boat. He was nailed to another's cross and buried in a borrowed tomb. The crucifixion of Jesus was the crime 
of crimes. The innocent one died for the guilty. When Christ died on the cross, few men mourned. Yet in the heavens, a black crepe was hung over the sun. Men did not tremble for their sins, but the earth shook under the burden of Calvary. All of nature honored him, but sinners rejected him. Why? He's above all. That is testimony. Look at verse 32. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. Multitudes followed him, in other words, but true, few, truly few became his disciples. He had his testimony, his doctrine, his teaching. Often many persons appear for a time to follow Christ. But in the end, sadly, they have not known his truth. But we are learning it. And we are in awe of our God. Look at verse 33. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. This is interesting from history during that time. To seal an instrument is to make it sure, to acknowledge it as ours, to pledge our veracity that it is true and binding. As when a man seals a bond, a deed, a will, it works. Believing a doctrine, therefore, in the heart is expressed by sealing it. That's why it was important when Paul said, hey, guess what? I know whom I have believed. It's not just a movement. He is the God, very God. There was conviction. What God spoke was true. 34, for he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. You, you, you look this up, you realize, you know, there were prophets that they spoke in time past. There were truths that God gave them. You interweave all that and it comes down to this, Christ and God put no limits on him. Everything that he spoke was necessary. Everything that the son spoke, the father said yes, and the spirit empowered. He did not put a clamp on him as it were. He was always filled with the spirit. Verse 35, and we're done. The Father loveth the Son and have given all things into his hand. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. The Son that he gave is the instrument that he used to bring mankind back to himself. That's why the Father loveth the Son. He's given all things into his hand. That's where our salvation is. 
And then he brings it together in verse 36. He that believeth on the Son, this one that the Father sent, he gave him his spirit, he gave him the reason for coming, he gave him all this. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. As you're walking around this week, as I'm walking around, as we fly, everybody that we pass basically falls into two groups. Everybody is born into one. The other, their hearts have been enlightened and they have said yes. I love that. Let's pray.